I think I internalized that as having shame of my tears and feelings, thinking if I show any feeling, if I cry, I'm weak and I don't want to be weak. And so that was like a resentment I had against my mom without even realizing it. And shout out to therapy for helping me navigate that. But also talking to my mom and understanding all of the things that she went through. Welcome to Latinx in Power, a podcast hosted by Thaisa Fernandes. Welcome to Latinx in Power. Today we are talking with Odalis Jasmine. Odalis is a Latina storyteller who writes and tells human-centric stories from a diverse and inclusive lens. She created Hella Latina, a platform for first-gen Latinx and immigrants to share their experience navigating identity in the United States. Odalis is also the content strategy partner for the Americas at TikTok. Very exciting conversation. It's been a while we have been talking, so I'm very, very happy to be having you here in the podcast. I am so honored. I loved when we first met and I was so like, I need to know more about this woman. She has the vibe, she has the character, the charisma, and she has a podcast. Like, I need to talk to her. <laughs> so I'm happy to be here. Oh my God, I'm so excited. I remember I was like taking a selfie. We were almost forgetting I, that. Yes. We took that yeah. selfie. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. I remember that. I'm so excited and I love the platform that you've created. Let's get into it. Yeah, likewise. I love your platform. I love your podcast. It's so inspiring. Mm -hmm. So today in this episode, we'll talk more about the power and the importance of owning your story. A very yeah. exciting topic. I'd love to hear more. Like, do you have a favorite childhood memory? Oh, that's a great question. This is kind of reckless of a story, uh, but I've always gravitated toward my brothers. I'm a big family person. I have a big, big family. I'm the youngest of seven. And my favorite childhood memories was always with my brothers because it was always something going on. Like we say relajoso, like they were just crazy and reckless. There was one thing that they loved doing and it was playing football or soccer in the house when my parents were gone. Cause when they, my parents were there, they were like, don't play in the house. Like, no, like, no, you can't do it. But when they were gone, my older brothers were in charge and they were like, Oh, we're going to play soccer. We're going to play football. And yo, like I was the mas chiquita, the little one. And so I would just pretend and try to play with them. And there's this one moment, favorite childhood memory. We were playing football and I was playing quarterback the little one I was playing quarterback and I threw the ball and it hit a frame that was like our family frame and it was huge and it broke the frame and the frame just like we saw it just fall and all the glass shattered all on the floor and my brother was so mad at me and he's like okay everyone we're gonna clean this up we're gonna hang up the picture again and like they won't know and it was so funny we cleaned it up we were like doing everything of course I was crying because I got in trouble and <laughs> we hung up the frame and no glass it was just the picture and my parents came home and we thought they didn't notice and my mom was like yes okay what is this like what happened and we were like oh no <laughs> But it was just my favorite favorite bonding time with my brothers. It was always something funny happening with them. 
Oh my God, that's an incredible story. And I love your brother's like mindset. I have a plan. Everything will be good. Let's oh, clean this. Yeah. And <laughs> yeah, he's the oldest one. He was always that person. He was like, okay, he's also a Virgo. So I blame it on that too. He always knew exactly what to do. Like, okay, you do this, you do that. And like, we all had like, uh, I was sitting on the couch actually. I didn't really do anything. I was just crying because <laughs> I'm like, Kevin yelled at me. Um, it's so funny. Just funny memories. Incredible. What does it mean to be a Latina for you? Uh, being a Latina means having this undeniable sazón and fire. And I think being a Latina means being this really strong character that has so much love inside. I feel like every Latina I've met even you, right? I don't know if you identify as a Latina. I know Brazil is part of the community. And there's something about meeting Latinos where you just feel like this warmth. And I feel like there's this presence and strength, but there's this warmth at the same time. And so I feel like being a Latina is all of that. Is It's the warmth, it's the strength, it's the it's everything. So that's what it means to me. Yeah, yeah. I love this description, this warm. I definitely feel that. And yeah, we touched an interesting point. I think for Brazilian, it's, it's a little bit different, the process. I think I, I started to identify myself as a Latina only after I moved to the US. And I started to see the similarities we have with each other. And I felt this closeness. And every time I meet someone from Latin America, I feel this warm and this closeness. And yeah. it's interesting because we usually, I think both ways, we, we all feel the same way. Yeah. I hope so. <laughs> <laughs> right? <laughs> yeah. It's funny because I learned about the makeup of Latin America, right? Like I learned about the Caribbean nature, the Central American experience, the Brazilian experience, the South American experience, like really started to dive deeper into the history and the definitions of Hispanic versus Latino. And, you know, that's, that's what I do now. It's my jam. And what's funny is I had a best friend who I just told you about who I met in college and I thought she was Latina. And so I started speaking to her in Spanish. She's like, I'm Brazilian. I don't know Spanish, but like, I'd love to learn. And we always had this, just had a very similar experiences. She was one of those other first gen Latinas that was really vulnerable about her story from Brazil to here, the immigration story, what she's been through, how hard she has to work. And we bonded so much over shared experience. And it's been so beautiful to learn this other side of Latinidad that, you know, they may not speak Spanish, but we all have the same shared experience and struggle and beauty and culture and there's similarities and there's differences, but it's all very beautiful and centered on what I just explained, the warmth, the resilience, like the strength, like all of that is still part of everyone that's part of Latin America. It's very beautiful. Yeah. And thank you for sharing that. I think especially on social channels, sometimes it might be easier to share stuff like that. But sometimes I see uh, Latinos shaming each other for not being able to speak Spanish and like all this drama around the language. But mm -hmm. it's a lot more than that, right? And I love this closeness that we have, although maybe looking from the outside, we might look yeah. very different, but when you get to know someone from like more personal level, you see a lot of similarities and it's just incredible to be able to see that and 
have friends. Yeah, I think it starts with just exposure. And that's why I started my podcast because I think there's so much that even our own community doesn't know about each other's cultures. And I I always make this joke like when I was younger, my friends that were Mexican were were like, why do you say was? Why don't you say tu? And I'm like, because that's what Hondurans say. We say was. And I remember I would always be asked, do you speak Mexican? And my best friend who is Mexican, she would be like, she's Honduran. Okay. Get it right. She would always defend me. And we're still best friends now since kindergarten forever. And she always jokes about it. Like I always defended you. I was like, you did. You really did. (laughs) She's like, she doesn't eat spicy. She eats platano. Okay. Like she would always tell people it's, it was so funny, but I think like, what if she never met me? She would never know the Honduran experience. And I always felt like it was my role, I guess, to tell people about what it meant to be Honduran, what we eat, what we listen to, nuestra música, our music. I was that person that just wanted to educate people on what it meant to be, what it was like to be Hondureña. And I feel like I wanted to just create a bigger platform because I'm like, I can't be the only Latina feeling like there's not representation for her culture. And then you hear from Peruvians, you hear from Brazilians, and you hear from these folks on the podcast that talk about their experience of navigating identity when you don't see it around you in the U.S. So, Yeah, that's incredible. And I love that I'm listening to you now and it's giving me that vibes, you know, because I'm always listening to your podcast. I was like, oh my God, I'm talking with her now. So this is incredible. Can you share with us a little bit how did everything start? Oh man, what a story. It started during the pandemic and I, for context, before the pandemic, I was working in a, in a small business and I was wearing a lot of hats. Like I was doing workshops, doing events, doing communications, doing everything under that sun. And one of the things I created in the role and I fell in love with was working with Hispanic serving institutes. So working with San Jose State, working with a lot of first gen Black Latino students and letting them know of the possibilities that we as a company can offer them. I was in a contracting agency. We were the middleman between these big tech companies and all this amazing talent. And I saw that there was lack of diversity in our talent pool. And I was like, um, can we get some color and sazon in here? Because there's like no representation. And it's not because the talent's not there. Obviously, it's because we're not reaching those communities. So I kind of created this aspect of my role that I fell in love with. And a part of what I do is I would go to these organizations, these schools, these universities, first gen orgs, and I would talk about the power of telling your story in an interview, outside of an interview, how to own your unique superpowers, which stem from your your story. And that was the work that I loved so much that students were reaching out to me, wanting to do one-on-one sessions with me. And there was two things that happened. I was one burnt out because pandemic, it was a lot just going on in the world and it impacted so much in my mental health and, and the people around me. And so I was getting burnt out having these one-on-one conversations all the time with students. And I was thinking, dreaming, is there a way to just have like you know, all these students in one room and I could just say it to everyone. (laughs) And I was always finding myself connecting them like, oh, you should reach out to that person, that person. I used to call myself the plug. Like, I may not know what you need, but I know someone who knows how to help you. And so that was a lot of my work. And when the pandemic hit, the second thing that happened was all of that stuff that brought me a lot of joy was taken away. I was not going to universities anymore. I wasn't talking to students one-on-one in person. And I was setting up these Zoom calls and the Zoom fatigue, you know, in 2020 was so real. Like you were on camera 
every single second of the day. And I was like, oh my God, this is a lot for me. And so I just stopped the work altogether and really focused on trying to just get my job done and spending time with my family, taking care of them. And so what happened during the pandemic was I was starting to feel really unhappy in my role. And I think it's because the parts that really filled in my soul, my heart were taken away. And I was left with this work that was draining, if anything. And what would bring me joy in those moments was spending time with my parents. And I mean, Thaisa, how often do you ask your parents about their story? Where do you come from? What was your struggles as a kid? Tell me about mi abuelito, abuelita. In that moment, I spent a lot of time with my parents and I called it with them cafecito and chisme, which you'll recognize from the actual podcast. But I was like, okay, el cafecito y chisme, where is it? And we would sit down at the table con la prima, like people would just come over to the cousin. And it was just these moments where we talked about family stories. It's a window into like a museum of your family roots and where you came from, especially being born in the U.S. and not immigrating over here. I don't know what it was like to grow up in Honduras. I haven't even been to Honduras. And so for me, I wanted to understand like, where do I come from? And I realized in that moment, do Latinos really even know about our own history? Like I never learned our own history. So I clearly had a lot of time on my hands. So I started listening to podcasts. I started reading books. I started watching TV about the Spanish and Latino history, not just my own family history, but like history of Latino America in general. And so I kind of came up with this idea because I was listening to a lot of podcasts. I was telling my dad one day, we were sitting down watching TV and I was like, what if I create a podcast that had this like vulnerability that Brene Brown has, like the storytelling, the vulnerability but also is like a mix of Contodo, which is a Netflix podcast, Brown Enough. Brown Love is what it's called. And I told my dad, I'm like, what if it's like this vulnerability storytelling type of platform, pero también tiene, it also has the sazón, the culture, the celebration, the beauty, the fun, the vibes. And we amplify the story of first generation and immigrant Latinos and their experience of navigating identity career and all of that. And so he's like, he, my dad was all supportive. He's like, that sounds like a super cool idea. He's like, you have to do it. You have to do it. And so that's how it started. It started with me. The first episode is a 15 minute story about me telling everyone about where I come from, who I am, what it's like to be Honduran American Latina. And I mean, it's been 80 episodes, two years, three years almost uh, later. And yeah, it's been a journey since. First of all, I love your family already, and I love <laughs> that you were creating the space to talk with them. And I think it might not be as natural for us, or like overall, right, to ask our family those questions. And especially yeah. because as a kid, you see a lot of things, but you're a kid, you don't fully understand some things, right? Even like the stage of the world, the economics mm. and all the stuff. And having those conversations with them and understanding a little bit more what was happening, what they were thinking, it's a very yeah. important process. And I guess also it might be super healing as well, right? It was such a healing moment because to get really like honest and vulnerable here, I had a lot of trouble with my mom. Like me and my mom were the same exact person and we butt heads all the time. And one thing that I think I like, 
resented my mom for a long time when I was younger because my mom, I used to say she was emotionally unavailable to us because she was, I mean, and then this is what I started to understand. She was working three jobs, trying to provide for us. She was busy. She was tired. She was exhausted, cooking for us, cleaning for us, working three jobs while doing it all. And just dealing with life and trying to survive in a world that wasn't, or in a country that wasn't really created for you. And I remember as a kid, you don't understand, right? Like you were saying, you don't understand that as a kid. And so for me, I was just mad at my mom all the time. She's like, oh my God, every time I cry, she's like, no, you don't cry. And I would hate it. I'm like, I'm a cry baby still. (laughs) (laughs) And my mom, Capricorn, a Capricorn woman, she was like, stop crying, stop crying. Don't cry, don't cry. You don't have a reason to cry. She would always say those things to me. And it really, I think I internalized that as having shame of my tears and feelings, thinking if I show any feeling, if I cry, I'm weak and I don't want to be weak. And so that was like a resentment I had against my mom without even realizing it. And shout out to therapy for helping me navigate that. But also talking to my mom and understanding all of the things that she went through. I could cry now thinking about how my mom held that together for so long, trying not to show us any sign of she's sad, she's tired, she's week instead she was like no like let's do this she bosses around all the time but it was it was because she just wanted to have a beautiful family that was healthy that had everything that they wanted so she was willing to work her booty off to do it and I learned to just love my mom and see her for who she was and know like whatever happened as as I was a kid she also gave me so much you know so it was very healing and I still love having conversations with them and it it actually changed my relationship with them for the better and they're I always call them my dad and my mom my best friends because they really are Oh, that's so, so beautiful. So inspiring (laughs) to hear. And how was your process navigating your own identity in the United States? How was this for you as a first gen? (laughs) What a loaded question. It's funny because I didn't know what the term first generation meant until I went to college. And I remember, I mean, my brother, him and I are the youngest and we were the two that were born in the US. And he was always like, I don't know how to say it in English, but he was very like, just too smart for his own good. He did really well in school. He was part of all these programs and extracurricular. He like loved science, math, like he loved all those things. I was very opposite where I'm like, I don't like science, math, all of those things. Like I'm a creative. I love writing. I love talking. I love kind of making up these stories in my own head. And like, I love just listening to people talk. It sounds weird, but that's what I loved. And when he went to school, I remember talking to him and I was like, you know what? I don't think I want to go to school. I think I want to move somewhere creative and be like an artist or something and a writer. And he was like, you're crazy. You have to go to school. And he's like, you just, you just have to go at least have a degree because you can, because literally we're the only two who can. And so I think that's the first time I started to feel pressure of, okay, I have a very different experience than our five other brothers and sisters who are immigrants. At the time they were undocumented at the time, there was no DACA. So they didn't have an opportunity to go to school and we didn't have means for them to go to school anyway. And so my brother telling me like, cause you can was like a 
one of those first moments where I'm like, okay, I'm privileged. I have an opportunity to go to school. I'd be wasting it. I'd be wasting, I'd be doing a disservice to my family who was, you know, they don't even have the option to go to school. It would be a disservice to them. And that was the first time I feel like I started to feel pressure of, you know, being first generation. And so when I applied to school, that was another moment. I didn't know how to do the grants, the scholarships, the FAFSA. I was like, what is this? And my brother at the time was in school, he was gone. And so he was like, you'll figure it out. He was very much tough love. And my mom, this is my favorite story about my mom. This is who she was. Like if any story describes her, this is it. I was like literally telling my mom, like, I don't know what to do. I don't know how to apply for school. Like how it's expensive too. Like, how do you do this? She was like, oh my God, you know what? I remember Tony, this guy, Tony, who helped your brother apply for school. Let me call him. Literally, she calls him resourcefulness, right? It runs in our veins. So she calls Tony and she's like, oh yeah, Tony, like, hello. I have my daughter, Jasmine. That's what she calls me to him. And she was like, she needs help applying to school. And we have no idea how to do it. I don't know how to help her. She's like, I can't pay you, but I can give you a rack of ribs. (laughs) And she's like, I'll make you food. Can you come help her? That's my mom in a nutshell. She's like, listen, I will make anything happen with food. Like... (laughs) (laughs) And she's like, she called Tony. Tony came over, picked up his ribs and he helps me apply for school. And a huge shout out to Tony, who's helped a lot of my family members get into school. He calls himself the Mexican Chicano uh, counselor. (laughs) But I, it was just hard navigating some of these moments and even going to school was very lonely. My brother had already graduated. I felt very alone. I ended up finding this like program that helped first generation kids get through school because I was working three jobs. I mean, I was tired. I was homesick. I was lonely. I was scared. I mean, all those feelings were really real for me. And when I got accepted to school, I remember the first thing I did was I cried, not because I was happy that I got in, but because I'm like, okay, well now how am I going to pay for school? You know what I mean? I didn't get scholarships or grants. I mean, I got FAFSA, which took a lot away, but there's still this other layer of living in the Bay Area, which I didn't know it was expensive, but to keep the story a little shorter, like I remember just navigating so much of college, just trying to figure it out and trying to get through it. And I thought first generation was done after college was done. And I was like, okay, I'm ready to not be first generation and to go into the workforce and kill it and make money and be rich. No, first generation continues forever. And I experienced these first corporate experiences. And I had so much trouble being completely myself and being in a space that was different than where I grew up, different than what I was used to, different than anything I've ever experienced. And it was a shock to (laughs) navigate my first few career experiences. And I think one of the things that helped me in those moments where I felt lonely and powerless and underrepresented was to almost love my own journey and love my story and show relentlessly who I was despite people looking at me a certain way. I've had people talk about nails and how they were unprofessional. And now I wear my long nails purposely all the time. I'm like, this is me. But I I think in those moments really started to, I went to therapy. I had a, a life coach. I did a lot of spiritual work and I learned to love my story and own where I came from and realized that running away from little Olalis Jasmine who grew up in Southeast San Diego, a low income community, that was her. The resourcefulness that my mom did with the ribs, the creativity that has always been a part of me, the Latino just warmth and resilience is all part of who I am. And that includes the way I look, the red lipstick, 
tall, big hips and uh, like long nails. Like that's all me. And all of that is taken with me in every space that I enter. And I think that's been another part of my healing journey. Incredible. It's so inspiring to hear your story. And we love your mom. She's incredible. She's a connector like you. And I agree with her. A lot of things we can solve with food, especially homemade food. It's just amazing. (laughs) And we all need to find our Tony in our lives. Yeah, we need. And it's interesting. In this season, we have been talking a lot with first generations. And for me, as someone who moved to the U.S. nine years ago, I remember when I moved and I was like, oh, if I was born here, my life would be so much easier because I will like, I will be more comfortable with English and the language. I will understand a lot more of like the things here. But in the end of the day, it's very lonely. Like even being first gen, because you're like sometimes the first ones are doing something, right? Entering college, working Mm -hmm. tech. And there's like a lot of things. You are the only one. You are the first. So it's a very lonely process as someone who moved to the United States that sometimes the experience can be even more different. How old were you when you moved to the U.S.? I was old. (laughs) Not old. I was like 20 something. I was 24, I believe. Um. I think for me, maybe the experience was different because I was older. (laughs) I was in my 20 something. And also I finished college already and I I had an MBA that I did in Brazil. So it was really good Mm -hmm. in a sense that I didn't have a student debt. So this was a huge, huge thing because when I moved here, I understood more this concept of like having student debt. I was like, oh my God, this sounds terrible to be 20 something with this amount of debt just because you wanted to go to college. And to me, it's still like unbelievable. That's crazy. Yeah, yeah that's why I was telling you about, I cried when I first got the acceptance letter because I'm like, how in the world am I going to pay for this? Because they covered a piece of tuition. They didn't cover all of the tuition and then room and board. How am I going to pay for that? How am I going to (laughs) eat and survive? And my family, we had just come out of homelessness and a lot of financial just disparity and poverty. And it was scary for me to be on my own and try to navigate those experiences. And it's funny you're mentioning this immigrant experience because all of my siblings are immigrants from my brother up. And there was a sense of guilt and pressure for me, pressure to get all of the access and have all the opportunities that were taken away from my siblings that immigrated here and didn't have papers, opportunities, et cetera. But there was also a guilt that came with having access to these spaces and opportunities, because oftentimes I would ask myself, like, what's so special about me? Like my brothers and my sisters are so talented. They just didn't have access. And that's like one of the things that I'm really big on now. And the reason I'm in the career that I'm in and the reason that I have my podcast, because I want to create equity and access to these spaces because I mean you know that you say you've been in this space before like it's not like you have to be the smartest person on the planet you just have to know the work you just have to know how to do it but I swear if I would put any Latino in in that position they'd be able to master it you know what I mean and I worked with a lot of people and I'm like oh my god my brother would be so good at that but like you know he couldn't go to school he doesn't have a degree and so I think there's a lot of passion that came from being first generation and making sure that I'm always giving back with knowledge and access to people, to spaces, to corporations, to, I want our communities to have more access. 
Incredible. And you're helping a lot of people already. Just being new, being new with your long nails, your makeup, they need to deal with that. Oh my God. And I hate when people say what it means to be professional. We talked about this in another episode and to be professional is just be polite, treat people well, be able to collaborate, do the work that you need to do, not how you look like or your hair, whatever, right? So, and that's one yeah. of the things I noticed about you too. I was like, oh, Thaisa is coming up in here with all her tattoos and her piercing. And I loved that. I love when people are just, I always like to say relentlessly them, like despite the world, the system trying to tell them they look a certain way or act a certain way, people who choose to just be exactly who they are. I know that work doesn't always come easily. Sometimes it comes with a lot of inner work, but I love seeing folks just being 100% themselves. And I saw that in you and I'm like, I like her. <laughs> <laughs> and, and I think everything changed to me when I realized that it's not just for me, it's for the others who are coming as well. For example, when I moved to the U.S., I was very self-conscious about my English skills. And I always felt that it wasn't good enough. And I was like, oh, I'm saying something wrong. I'm pronouncing something wrong. People are not understanding me. And Mm -hmm. as I was like healing, doing therapy, you know, doing a lot of work, (laughs) I started to be bolder in the things that I do, maybe the way I dress, the way I position, or if I see something that I don't agree or I don't think is fair, I will say it, you know, Mm -hmm. and now I think it's just not for me, it's for the others that maybe they are not in a position that they can say something, they just need to accept what is brought to them. But I love the sense that it's not just about me, it's for the other ones that right now they might not be able to say it out loud. So I think that helps. (laughs) Right. That's why I have a podcast. And I'm sure that's why you have a podcast too, because it's not, it's not just about us. And anytime anybody asks me like, how did you get over imposter syndrome? The way I get through it is because I remind myself, this is bigger than me. This is for my nieces and nephews growing up in Southeast San Diego or in the areas that we grew up in. I want them to know they can be exactly who they are with their gold chains and their line in their hair, the little like freshly, like, you know, I want them to know they can be all of that, all of who they are and still be in this space and still know they belong here. Because I think so often you can't, you can't be what you can't see and to go into these spaces and not see yourself represented. It's hard for you to own who you are. But for me, what gets me through those moments is knowing these kids are looking at me, you know, like my family's looking at me and bigger than that, people are looking at me. If I see a Latina, young Latina at LinkedIn or at TikTok, I want them to know they can be exactly who they are. And I made sure speaking of TikTok to go into every single interview that you saw exactly who I am. I had my little Honduras chain. I had my red lipstick, my long nails. I made sure I like spoke with my hands so they know this is this is how I speak. And that was exactly me and made sure intentionally to be extra of myself so they know there's no surprises here. This is who you're hiring. Amazing. <laughs> and you inspire us so much. And we are very, very oh. proud of you. 
talking about that, when I met you, you're leading LinkedIn project management, the LinkedIn events, and now wow. you are the content strategy partner for the Americas at TikTok. So I know. I'd love to hear <laughs> your insights into this podcast. We love to share insights and tips and advice for folks who want to transition yeah. between tech, but entering tech. So if you have any mm-hmm insight or anything you'd like to share with us? Yeah, I'll give context to everyone that I was a contractor at LinkedIn and shouldn't have been a contractor, but I was a contractor and I got laid off a few weeks early, six weeks earlier than my original end date. And I was leading all internal and external emerging talent events. So emerging talent is early career talent or talent transitioning into tech for the very first time. And so I supported about five to six different programs. And I was kind of like the events girl, like, uh, hola, our Latino ERG would hit me up all the time. Like, hola, Liz, can you help us with this? Can you help us with that? And it was so fun. That's actually how I met Thaisa. And I, I just loved it. I, I love the role that I played and what I was doing. And outside of LinkedIn, I have my podcast. I do a lot of content, a lot of strategy, a lot of branding. And one of the things that I'll, I'll pause here and say that I've always been a dreamer. I've always loved playing with my, just playing, right? Like I love just creating, whether it's an event, a content piece. I love being able to play and be free and be creative and have room and space to create. So in my career, you will see my experience is kind of all over the place. There's some events, there's some content, there's some this, there's some that, there's social media, there's PR. And some people are like, well, what do you do? And I'm like, I play, I do all of it. (laughs) I will create an event. I will create a content piece. I'll create a script, a blog, a newsletter. Like I love to just play around with the term storytelling. How do we tell a story? How do we immerse people in a story? How do we do that? And so applying to TikTok, I think every role that I've had has been through passion. I've gone into LinkedIn. When I interviewed, it was all me talking from a place of passion. The same thing with TikTok. They asked me like, well, you do events how are you going to do content strategy? And I'm like, this is what I do outside of events, right? Like, and even in events, there is a content layer to it. And so being able to just talk from a place of not just expertise and experience, but passion, like I do this day in and day out. This is the world that I live in. I love content. I love to play with it. I love events. And this partner does a little bit of the events too, culturally, but I really spoke from a place of just passion and love. And I mean, to, to make it more like succinct, I think I have a passion for play. And so that's what I did in the interviews. And it led me to a full-time role at TikTok. And I mean, from doing events to doing now content strategy for the Americas, what's interesting about that is my whole platform is talking about the struggle between, am I American enough? Am I Latina enough? Am I Honduran enough? And the hiring for this role was because they wanted someone to represent the American voice and help communicate to American audiences, their employees, right? And it's so funny. It's kind of like a, a weird cognitive thing that I'm thinking about is like, they hired me to be an American voice when this has been my whole platform is, am I American enough? <laughs> So it's almost like a healing job title, like, okay, I'm the content lead for Americas. And it's a beautiful way to enable internal cultures and mobilize them to be part of the shared mission and values of what TikTok shares, which is all about playing, right? If you think about TikTok as a platform, you play with video, you play with content. So yeah, I'm just excited. 
I'm super excited for you. I'm a big fan of TikTok. I have my TikTok time every day. So my partner knows you that. You do not. I TikTok time? I have a TikTok time. I cannot be bothered. So when I'm in so my TikTok funny. time. <laughs> and I love the way you tell your story. I think it might be a good tip for folks who want to enter tech or transition yeah. tech. Like tell your story and tell your story in a way where... Things are connected in, in a way that you can share your secret sauce. And sometimes your secret mm. sauce is not something that is like, I don't know, maybe it's not that obvious, right? Because it might be different things you did in your career that you might think, oh, they're not related. I remember yeah. when I was teaching last year in Thailand for this university, I was talking with someone who was a math teacher for his entire life and he was transitioning to UX design and he was like, it's not related at all. And then he started to think, actually, I work with students all the time. I work with their parents. I'm really good with people. And I know how to translate a very complex topic in a way that is very easy to digest. This is a really mm. good skill for designers, especially UX designers, right? You are right. going to be in research with other people talking with your users all the time. So try to make this connection and show your mm. secret sauce. It's so powerful. And one thing that I do for my podcast is I work a lot with ERGs, schools, a lot of just external speaking engagements. And there's a this quote and research that is done about storytelling. And the thing that people forget is that our brains are literally wired for storytelling. We love stories more than we love the numbers. And when we talk about numbers, we tell the story behind the numbers. And that's where our brain is like, oh, we like that. We'll remember that. Because what, oh, I forget what the actual research is, but seven parts of our brain is activated when someone's telling a story. Because automatically you connect to the person. I mean, you talked about my mom, right? And the ribs, like, that probably reminded you of something for you, like, oh, food, food is part of the culture. Like that's, we connect all of a sudden because there's a real story being told and seven parts of our brain are literally like, oh, we heard a story. Where is it coming from? And by research, stories are 22 times more likely to be remembered than facts alone. And so it's just important to know in these interviews, in conversations like these, stories stick, stories matter. And I'm sure after this, you'll probably remember the rib story because it was visceral, right? You can feel it, you can imagine it. And it's powerful what our story or what our brains do when there is a story told, we go into this imaginative place in our, in our brain and it's, it's how we make sense of the world. Yeah, that's incredible. I love that. We are getting to the end of this episode. I want to thank you for your time. You're so inspiring. I'm feeling so great right now. Thank you for that. That's seven parts of your brain activated. Yes, all of them are activated. Thank you for that. And I will leave the last minutes for you to share anything you want to share and also where people can find you. Oh my goodness. Well, everyone who's listening, I hope you can just connect with me. LinkedIn and Instagram are the two places I create the most or play the most on. Um, you can follow my podcast, Hello Latina, on all different platforms. Wherever you listen to podcasts, it's out there. Olalis Jasmine and Hello Latino on all social media platforms, you'll find me. But yeah. Thank you so much. Thank you.